Welcome to Jesus Dates. My first thought was, I'm going to get shot. What if I don't see my family? And then it was just like this survival instinct to like run. how God is moving in the lives of everyday people. Whether God has saved them from a fiery furnace or simply spoke to them in a Starbucks, we get to hear all about it right here on Jesus Dates. My parents have been married for nearly 34 years and they are amazing. My dad's a pilot. My mom is a nurse. Oh, wow. And yeah, she told me not to be a nurse, but here I am, <laughs> you did, a nurse. <laughs> you you decided to be a nurse instead of a pilot? I did, and much to my father's dismay. But <laughs> my brother-in-law's a pilot, so I think that that kind of quenched his thirst for okay. another pilot in the family. I, <laughs> I have one uh, younger sister. We're about four and a half years apart, but growing up, most of the time, people would either ask us if we were twins or if she was older. Oh, really? So, <laughs> yeah. So I grew up. Um, mostly in the Midwest, um, my, the majority of my growing up was in Kansas, um, in Wichita, Kansas. So that's like the south central part of the state. So now where are you living? So now we made a huge change. My husband is in dental school in Loma Linda, California. So that's Southern California. We're about um, 60 miles east of L.A., so it's actually a really awesome place to be. You know, we have the beach, we've got Disneyland, we've got San Diego, which is my favorite city. <laughs> We're really enjoying it. We've loved living here. How did you meet and get together with your husband? My husband's name is Mitch. We first met in high school through a mutual friend. We met up at a volleyball tournament. So I was playing and Mitch knew one of the guys that went to my school, and so he talked to him. He's like, who's that cute blonde? (laughs) That was our first meeting. So long story short, we kind of had like on and off times through the next couple of years, and then we started dating. We dated for five years, went through a lot during that time, and then New Year's Eve um, 2013, he proposed. Were you surprised? I was super surprised because I was expecting it like every holiday prior to New Year's Eve. <laughs> yes. And so when New Year's Eve came around, I had been telling all my friends, I'm like, whatever, like he's not going to propose. Like I kind of had this bad attitude. And they were like, no, 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 like he's saving it. Of course he's going to propose. So I was completely taken off guard. Wow. So, so you had mentioned that you are a trauma ER nurse. I mean, so you must be, you must see some pretty crazy stuff. Like how do you propose? Prepare for work every day, like not knowing what you're going to see. Yeah. So the beauty, I guess, of the ER to me is that you never know what you're going to see. I kind of like that spontaneity and you just get to experience so many things. But, you know, I think the other thing that makes working, especially at Loma Linda, I feel like so awesome is that our teamwork is really incredible and you always have so much help and you're, you're never alone. I have... I've asked you to share a story about when you knew that God was alive and active in your life. And so I guess, where does that story begin? Um, <laughs> to be honest, I feel like I've had 
multiple experiences, as I'm sure many people have, that I, I know that there's got to be a God and he definitely cares about me. Just to give a little bit of a background, in college I was a student missionary in Peru and I was out doing a, a medical clinic in a really um, rural area and our, our boat was actually held up at gunpoint. These guys jumped on our boat, took all of our things. Um, I was sure I was going to either be killed at that point or kidnapped. Story, but that's another story for another day. And then about which is a five huge years ago, story, which is so crazy. Like that's not even the story that you're talking about today, but it's a huge story in it's, itself. Yeah, my most recent experience actually happened in uh, last October, and I guess my story kind of begins. Life was like just cruising along. I was feeling good. You know, we're living in California. Mitch is in his last year of dental school. Things are getting better with his schedule. You know, we were just having so much fun. Um, I'd been planning to go to this concert in Las Vegas for months, and I was looking forward to it. The concert's called Route 91 Harvest Festival, and so it's just a bunch of country music, awesome artists. I love country, so I was just super stoked about this weekend who did you go with I went with a few friends from work actually and originally our plan had been for it to be kind of like a little couples trip so there was three three couples that were going to go together um and then actually last minute uh, Mitch my husband and Quinn my friend Tiffany's husband could not come with us um just because of like work and school issues okay so I just went with my friend Tiffany, and we met up with our other friends that were coming as well. So the first two days of the concert were really incredible. You know, we were having so much fun, and, you know, you just you get to come and hear all these great bands, and the atmosphere of the whole place was just really fun. The people were really nice. You know, mm. it's walking distance from your hotel, and so it was just this awesome, awesome setup. So the third night of the festival, you know, everyone's super excited because Jason Aldean is like kind of like the the grand finale and we're all looking forward to it. So we got to the venue. We had a little um, like meeting spot because our whole group of people that we were with, we were about 11 all together. Okay. Um, so during the festival, we would stand in one certain spot and then we would have like kind of landmarks to mark where we were so that if one of us had to go to the bathroom or had to go get food, we would know where to find our group because it's easy to get, you know, kind of swallowed up in the crowd there. So Jason Aldean had just come on. I think he had sang about... I think he got through one song and I told my friend Tiffany, I was like, I have to go to the bathroom so bad. <sighs> and um, so she and Leslie, my other friend, were standing right next to me. They were like, oh, it's okay. Like, we'll just go with you, which was a little bit odd because a lot of points in the weekend, we wouldn't all go together. Yeah. Um, you know, we would just run to the bathroom and come back because no, nobody wanted to miss the music, of course. Especially since so, it had just begun. Yeah. So I was like, oh, okay, sounds good. So, you know, we hold hands. Because we have to make our way through the crowd because at this point, you know, there's a ton of people pushed up towards the stage to see Jason Aldean. So we get through the crowd. We're kind of wiggling our way through. We get just barely outside of like the, the majority of the people and we hear something and the three of us look at each other. And my friend Tiffany was like, that's like, those are gunshots. So I look you... over my shoulder did you, when she said that it was gunshots, did you know that it was gunshots before she even said it? I, I don't think I wanted to believe it. 
I wanted to believe that it was fireworks or something was wrong with the PA system. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then, so you said then you looked over your shoulder. So I looked over my shoulder and it just was mad chaos. Everyone was screaming and trying to run. We quickly ducked underneath a table that was kind of in a tent to the side of the venue. Um, Jason Aldean at this point stopped playing. Um, and that's kind of when I really knew I was like, okay, something's like definitely wrong. Oh, wow. So all music um, just all of a sudden stopped. All of a sudden. Yeah. It's just, just completely stopped. We are crouched under the table. We're all at this point, we started crying like, oh my gosh, like what's happening? What do we do? And all we can hear is the sound of gunshots. And it's like, not just one gunshot. It's like an automatic weapon gunshot. Oh my um, goodness. I don't know that I'll ever be able to get the sound um, out of my head, to be honest. It was just, bup, 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 bup. and then it would stop for maybe 10, 15 seconds. Then it would keep going just round after round after round. And were you, and, so you three were just under this table this whole so, time? Yeah. So we were under there for, I, you know, time. It felt like forever, and I don't think that it was that long. But we were under the table. We all looked at each other. We're like, we have to keep going. Like, we can't stay here. So we kept going. We were almost to the edge of the venue where there was a big fence. At this point, the fence had been knocked down. So we ran over it. Then we saw a cop car just right outside of the venue. So we ran behind the cop car. And there was a girl there sitting right next to the car that had been shot in the arm. Oh my goodness. Someone was already tending to her and we like crouched down there for a second, but the cop that was hiding behind the car with his gun drawn, he was like, you girls have to keep running. I can't keep you all safe here. Oh my goodness. And And at this point, is is everybody just like in a panic, like running, trying to get out? Complete and total panic. Everyone was screaming and crying and, and yelling out for friends and family, trying to call people people trying to help other people. It was, I don't even know how to just, it was just complete chaos, complete. Like everyone was just in survival mode. You know, I was like, okay, God, like I'm, I don't know what to do. I'm completely terrified out of my mind, praying like just the most earnest, like, please keep us safe. Please keep us safe. Please keep us safe. Like that's all I could even think. Wow. At this point, when we had stopped by the cop car, my friend Leslie was like, Rob, which is her husband. She's like, I have to go back for Rob. And Tiffany and I grab onto her arms. We're like, no, no, you can't go back. You have to come with us. He's going to be okay. Her husband, Rob, is a firefighter. She was literally pulling against us, and we were having to drag her away from the venue. Oh, wow. Um, Because you know that if she goes back, then she's in the line of fire. Right. And it was... It was this awful feeling of there was no safe place because we had no idea at this point. We had no idea where it was coming from. Oh, yeah. We kept running away from the venue, which was also away from the strip, which happened to be towards the airport. And I don't know how it happened, but there was a gate, obviously, around the airport because they don't want people running around on the airport. Um that had been knocked down. So we ran over that gate. We ended up following a large crowd of people into an airplane hangar that had like a bunch of private jets and stuff in it. 
and we just kept hearing the shots and we're like, well, we, we can't stay here. Like we're close to jet fuel. We're close to all this stuff. We have to keep going. Oh, wow. Um, so you're really just trying to find any safe place and you have no any, idea where to go. Exactly. Any safe place. And, and it just kept going and going. And what was, and, like, what was going through your mind at this time? Like, was anything going through your mind, or were you just really in this fight-or-flight mode, or what know, was happening? I I think my first thought was, I'm going to get shot. What if I don't see my family? And then it was just, like, this survival instinct to, like, run. So once you got around in the airport, did you end up staying in that area, or... Like, how did um, you know when to stop? Yeah, so we we kept running and actually ended up on, like, the runway. <laughs> and at that point, airport police ended up kind of ushering us off the runway. So they ended up sending a bus for us because there was, I would guess, hundreds of people that ran the same way that we ran. Wow. And so they, this bus, you know, shuttled us to what they were calling the safe zone. and. Yeah. I mean, we packed as many people. There was people sitting on everyone's laps and, you know, because it was, like, safe place. Like, that's what we all wanted, like, get us somewhere safe. They took us to the cell phone lot at McCarran Airport um, and told us, you know, they dropped us off and said, you know, call your family, call your friends, you know, you guys need to get away from the Strip. Obviously, at this point, there was tons of helicopters, tons of police cars. You just heard sirens, helicopters, and amongst, like, the shooting, it was just, like sensory overload. When they're trying to get you to the safe place and they drop you off, yeah. then what are you supposed to do at that point? Yeah, so as we were running, I had called Mitch trying to tell him what was happening and, you know, tell him that I love him because I'm afraid this is the last time I'm going to talk to him. Was- and I just kind of just break down on the phone. You know, I can't even I can't even talk to him. All I can say is there's an active shooter and we're running. That's like all I can get out of my mouth. What was he saying? He was like, "What? Like, what are you? What are you talking about?" And I was like, "There's an there's an active shooter, and we're running." And then I think over the phone he could hear it. He was like, "He's like, oh, like, what do you want me to do?" I just immediately like, "How can I help?" And I just started just crying. I couldn't even form a sentence. Yeah. <laughs> and um, at the same time, my friend Tiffany was talking to her husband over the phone, and also just couldn't couldn't say anything. You know. You just feel so so paralyzed. You're just so scared, and there's no words. Quinn, Tiffany's husband, actually lives in San Diego, and he ended up driving up to Loma Linda, and he picked Mitch up, and they both drove out to Vegas that, that same night to come get us. Oh, wow. So, so when you were calling, when you called him, did you think that that was, like, that was it? I Yeah, I was pretty afraid that that was it. Wow. So, so then, uh, what was the end of the night like? Yeah. So we got to the, the safe zone and, um, we actually have a friend that lives in Henderson, which is about 15 to 20 minutes away from Vegas, just kind of like a suburb. And Mitch had been in contact with him after he talked to me. And so Mitch ended up calling me back. He's like, you know, I've been talking to John. He wants to come get you guys. Just give him a call whenever you're to your safe zone, and he'll he'll come get you wherever you are. So I called John. John, you know, we're here's where we are, and he was like an angel that night. He's like, just drop a pin like on your phone and send it to me, and I'll come like wherever you are. 
and he got there he got there so fast I don't even know how he picked all of us up and I've never felt so good to like be in a car driving away from somewhere like Mm. I just finally I don't even think I felt relaxed but I finally felt like I was going somewhere that was hopefully safe you know you finally felt Um, like you were actually gonna get to the safe place yeah so we got to his apartment and I think we just sat in the kitchen kind of in silence for I don't even know we didn't it was just like this very like numb feeling like what what just happened you know were you guys able to sleep that night um no I think I maybe laid down and closed my eyes for maybe 30 minutes just because you know I was just I was so tired but I was still so scared that it was like your body desperately like wanted to sleep but your mind just couldn't shut off yeah and then Mitch and Quinn showed up there around 3 a.m so when they got there I don't think I've ever been so happy to to see him (laughs) but we had turned the news on because you know as humans we want an answer like what's what's happening what were we just running from so Um, then when you turned on the news what did you I guess what did you expect to find I that's a good question I think I hoped for an answer like one who who is this person or persons did they catch them why why would someone want to do this and are are we all safe now the strip was closed i think until 7 a.m so we actually couldn't even get back to our hotel until the next morning which was monday morning so i think rob and leslie had been apart for like eight hours or something when we were finally able to get back and it was the most eerie thing to walk back in there because we had to go back to our hotel to get all of our stuff and I I mean I definitely did not want to go anywhere near there but it was so eerie walking out and it was like silent and if you've ever been to Vegas it's never silent yeah what happened afterwards and were you able to go back to normal life it is it's totally so we see things like this on the news oh a shooting in in so-and-so and you know, this many people died. Like, it's just things that you see and you just never think it's going to happen to you until it does. And so you don't know what to do. I remember coming home on Monday and just sitting on my couch, just like blankly staring into space, like having no clue, like what to do. You know, one of my supervisors from work called me that afternoon and was amazingly supportive and just said, you know, we're here for you. We care about you and do not care. Like, don't worry about work. You know, you, we've took, we've taken you off the schedule, do what you need to do. And just like, just know that if you need anything that we're here. And then my parents, you know, were calling me a lot. And my dad said, you know, we're going to fly you home. He didn't ask me. Mm. He said, we're going to fly you home. So all these flights I'm finding are flying through Las Vegas. And I just remember, like, head in my hands, just bawling and on the phone with my dad. Like, I can't, I can't fly to see you. I can't go to Vegas. Yeah. And my dad, being the amazingly patient man he is, he's like, it's okay, Rach. Just look, look for through, look for a flight through Denver or look, you know, it's okay. Like, you can do it. And (laughs) so I ended up booking a flight home and 
I, by the grace of God, I, I got home, got home and kind of started to tell them the story and just, just tears, just so many feelings. I, I, I just, yeah. I couldn't even control it. You know, like, you yeah. know, my, my parents were and have been incredibly supportive and they, they just hugged me. I remember, you know, they didn't, I didn't have to say anything. I don't do anything. They just, they just hugged me and held me so tight. And I, that was when I finally felt safe again. Oh. And, and, um, Mitch has also been incredibly supportive because I know that I was probably not the most fun person to live with there for, for a little while. Um, so I got back and I, from my parents' house and I, I tried to go back to work probably about three weeks after the event. And I, I was still very hypervigilant, very nervous about even leaving my house, you know, for the, a couple of weeks after I couldn't even go to target because there was just too many people and mm-hmm. I couldn't see the exit the whole time and things that never bothered me before, obviously like going to target would be really hard for me to do. One of my friends at home, she was like, I'm really worried about you. You know, you've, this is not the only traumatic thing you've been through in your life. She's like, I'm worried that you're going to have PTSD. And I really think it's important that you go see a therapist I ended up getting connected with a therapist here and I think that was like the single best thing I could have done. I've always been a type of person that's that's hard on myself and I I strive to be really good at whatever I'm doing. But I've always had these feelings of insecurity of like never being good enough and after this experience that in a way didn't really change because then I came to this realization I'm like, oh my goodness, like I kind of have like a reset on life and now well I just need to be really good at everything like I need to be a better wife and a better nurse a better daughter you mm. know all these things and did it seem like overwhelming like it I need did. to be better yeah and so mm. then it was like almost a whole different side of things that I was tr- kind of trying to go through because of this and sort out you know it's just this unfathomable tragedy and then feelings come on like well why didn't I get shot like why did those 58 people have to die well why am I still here why like what makes my life any more valuable than theirs was it like you did you feel guilty definitely yeah so how are how are things now between you and God you know I had I had a few people tell me, you know, well, God, God obviously has a plan for your life. And, you know, he, he like brought you through that for a reason. And it's not that I don't believe that, but I feel almost still, I feel like, well, yeah, he has a plan for me, but what about, what about those other people? What he didn't have a plan for them. And he, you know, I I have a, I have a hard time with that, with that saying. And I don't, I don't blame God for this at all. You know, I do believe that that God had a hand in in keeping me alive. You know, this later on we found out that my friend's husband Rob, he had been grazed on his right side by a bullet. Oh um, my goodness. And that's that's where we would have been standing. We all three of us would have been on Rob's right side. Wow. At the concert. And, um, if we hadn't have gone to the bathroom when we did, we could have easily been shot. And 
so you know i don't know did god put in my head like oh maybe now's a good time to go to the bathroom like i i don't know you know we didn't even make it to the bathroom so (laughs) i don't know (laughs) i don't know um it's it's a hard hard thing i i don't blame god because i know that we live in a sinful world yeah um but it is it's a still a struggle it's just a really hard feeling to deal with at first it was really hard because I was just so angry. I was like, why, why, why? And, you know, I I feel like now I'm at the point where it's like, we may never know why. Um, mm. And I don't think we'll know until we get to heaven. Yeah. And, and I think another thing that my therapist helped me realize was like, you need to be gentle on yourself. Like, really remind me that it's okay not to be okay. So I think my whole kind of takeaway and I guess the good things I can see out of this is to love well. That's one of our our church that we go to here. It's kind of like their their motto and and their like slogan that they use on a lot of things. And I just think it's so beautiful and so true. Like just learning to to love yourself and to love the people around you and to love God. Love well and it's it's all gonna be okay. <laughs> If you'd like to share your story about how God is moving in your life, leave us a message on our Jesus Dates voicemail number 218-656-0540 or send us a message to our email connect at thecurrentministry.com or our Instagram page at thecurrentministry. This podcast is brought to you by The Current Ministry, music by Azriel Post, and this is your host Molly Duper thanking you for joining us. And until next time... Grab a friend, a cup of joe, and go have your very own Jesus date. So really, really, really switching gears. I saw that you wrote on here that you crochet. <laughs> so <laughs> how did you, like, how did that happen? Uh, well, crocheting just seemed like it was really relaxing and I was on Pinterest of course and I found this really cool blanket and it was like how to crochet a blanket like easy pattern or something and I was like hmm that sounds nice so I actually to be honest I haven't finished the blanket yet but it's here in my room (laughs) 